Greetings, this is Pastor Stan Harvey of the Pentecostals of Sydney. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. It is our hope that this message, whether it be a Sunday service or a midweek lesson, would be a blessing and a help to you in your spiritual journey. Stay connected with us on our website, posydney.com, or on our numerous social media platforms. Now to the service. our speaker. Uh, she's a doctoral candidate in clinical psychology, is an ordained minister and full-time evangelist, counsellor with the Centre for Apostolic Counselling and a board member of the International Association of Apostolic Educators. Um, Sister Cara McCoy, Cara McCoy I should say, and her husband Thomas reside in Houston, Texas and they have one daughter and a zillion pets. And uh, she ministered at our uh, conference with the Children's Church as well. And we'll be ministering, as we said, this Thursday, 7 p.m. with the ladies. But she's here to bless us with her ministry this morning. And God will use her. We'd just like to introduce Sister Cara McCoy as she would come and take the platform. Well, praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord, everyone. Do you feel him here? Do you believe the words you were singing just a couple of minutes ago? At the name of Jesus. At the name. He doesn't have to do anything. Just say his name. Jesus, we thank you for this place. Let's worship him one more time. God, I ask you to touch every mind, every heart in this house today. Lord, I ask that you would minister. I feel your spirit. You come floating through this house powerfully, wave after wave already. And God, we're asking that you're going to minister in a way that whatever they need today, open their heart and mind. God, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. I'm so thankful to be here. I just wanted to give an acknowledgement. Thank you so much to Pastor and Sister Harvey for the invitation to speak today. Um, I'm really honored to be here. And Sister Gretch, thank you so much for all you've done. And Sister Cook, the inimitable Sister Cook. She's the one that brought me here. I'm so grateful to have been here for the conference, to be able to work with your children and teach your teachers and leadership staff. You know, God has a plan for you. And sometimes we think about the plan of God as being this big picture. You know, yes, God has a plan. But really, he has a plan for you, your life. He's watching you. He's with you. And every step you take, he's leading you in the direction he wants you to go. But it's your choice whether you follow or you get distracted by that thing over here you've been worrying about. And see, I feel like he's been moving through this house this morning, and some of you have caught it. You're like, whoa. And there's a few who are like, hmm, I wonder what I'm making for lunch. <laughs> right? Don't let that be you. Grab onto the fire this morning because he's offering you something that will change your life. If you've never been here before, if you're new, you're like, whoa, these people are crazy. It's all right. Just worship him in your way. Amen. I do have a quick scripture to read, if you wouldn't mind standing for the word of God. It's 2 Corinthians 10, 4. And I know that you know this verse. So if you'd like to, you can read it with me. Here we go. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen. You may be seated. Now, when I flew here, I, was, uh, I had a very, very long flight. You know how it is coming from the U.S. And about halfway, I was trying to sleep. And God just kind of like did that thing, you know, where he throws this thing in your head. And you're like, oh, you know, oh, I'm so excited. I can't sleep anymore. I've got to write this down. So I started typing crazy notes and making thoughts and praying. And then when I got here, uh, Sister Cook brought me from the airport straight from the airport, okay? We came to church, and I looked awful. <laughs> and I'm like, praise the Lord. I'm going to wear a hat. They won't know who I am. And then Sister Gretch gets up to speak. And about 10 minutes in, she starts talking about my subject. My eyes went, ping, what? 
Okay, either I got to change subjects or this is the will of God. I believe God's got a word for you today. So this is part two, okay? If you happen to hear last Sunday's message. The American Civil War happened from April 12th of 1861 to May 26th of 1865. It claimed 620,000 lives, which is nearly as many uh, casualties as every other war fought by the United States combined. But what was shocking to me when I started doing some research was that one out of every five people who joined to fight in that war was under the age of 18. The United States is not the only country, of course, that's experienced child soldiering. Many of us could name many countries in the world that even today use young people as soldiers. And even here in this great land, I went to my friend, Mr. Google, I typed it in. The, uh, actually, the Australian War Memorial has a website dedicated to what they call boy soldiers, such as Private James Charles Martin, who is best known as an Australian's boy soldier. He's the most famous. He was believed to be the youngest soldier listed on your roll of honor. Jim was 14 years and nine months old when he died at Gallipoli. Or you could talk about Reginald Gulf. Garth, who was 12 years old, he was from Perth, he stowed away on a transport because his three brothers and fathers had enlisted in the First World War and he wanted to be part of the adventure. So he snuck on a ship and went with them. The Australian War Memorial Roll of Honor website listed 235 boy soldiers from World War I and 68 from World War II. Likewise, Back where I'm from, the United States, during our Civil War, there were so many who lied about their age because they had the passion to fight. They used the time-honored trick of writing the number of the, the year you were supposed to be old in order to enlist. They'd write it on the bottom of their shoes so they wouldn't be lying when they stood there and said, yes, I'm above 18, so they could get into the military. If you look back in time, you would see that my country intentionally brought young people into the American Civil War because they needed musicians and drummers and scouts and servants and messengers, and they would run alongside the fighting men. But some of these kids not only saw war, but they experienced the violence for themselves. Some of them were called powder monkeys on warships. They would carry gunpowder to the cannons. Others picked up rifles and found themselves in the trenches with grown men. The best-known child soldier is a guy named John Clem. He was a drummer boy from Ohio. He carried the name Johnny Shiloh because a piece of shrapnel crashed through his drum and knocked him out cold. He was nine years old. Clem ran away from home so he could be a drummer in the war, but he earned his place in history at the Battle of Chickamauga where he put down his drum, picked up a rifle, and shot a Confederate officer. He was 11 years old at that time. After Hardy seeing two years of war, I can only imagine he didn't feel much like a boy anymore. The violence around him had made him a man. Now, he stayed in the Army until 1915, when he was officially the last Civil War veteran employed by the armed forces, and he retired a general. We even have a, uh, we have a picture of him uh, colorized, if it's up there. Edward Black became the youngest enlisted American to be injured in battle. He got a blast of shrapnel that blew off his left arm, but he was eight years old. These three drummer boys were from the Confederate Army. By the time this picture was taken, they were veterans of nine battles already. We have no idea if they survived the war. Now look at, uh, I've got a picture maybe of, some, of a servant boy with some generals. This child was so young. Oh, maybe next one, please. This boy was so young, he looks like a toddler. He wasn't even double digits. But he was running alongside the marching men because he wanted to be part of something that was bigger than himself. Do you have any eight-year-olds in your life? Do you got any kids that you know? Can you imagine who they would become if they had seen the horrors of war as elementary students? 
What we call a warrior today is actually something different from any other time period in the world. It's constantly changing. But one part of war that has never changed is the need for protection. And you can see this reflected in the New Testament scriptures even regarding the church and how we ought to fight spiritual battles. Paul writes in Ephesians 6.11, Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's a big bill. You're going to fight all that stuff? I have a hard enough time getting my kid to behave. But I'm supposed to take on all of these things in a supernatural way. So take on the whole armor of God that you can withstand that evil and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girded with, with truth, having a breastplate of righteousness, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. Now, in the battle days of the Bible, there were um, a lot of fighting men who didn't ever get named. They died in anonymity. They were people that were just masses, numbers, that went out to fight and never came home. They did the most hand-to-hat combat. They took the most blows to the face. They struggled and they survived, or maybe they didn't. But each of those people were human beings with minds and hearts and feelings and, and kids to take care of and, and things going on at home. They were just people like you. They were just people. But high-ranking officers were the highest targets of war because if you kill the high-ranking officer, you kill communication, you kill planning. So they would mass people around them to protect them so that they could do their job. If you kill the leadership, you take them down. You cause confusion and pain and maybe even win the battle. So what kind of protection can you use? We should look. I've got a few examples. A concept of gaining strength by protecting your body is an old one. So this armor, it was created by ancient people. It was found in different archaeological digs all over the place, from little pieces of metal that they tied each individual piece to their body to try to protect themselves. But it was always uncomfortable. I don't know if you have that slide up there. Um, it was always uncomfortable because you could never keep it in this right spot, you know. Every time you ran or moved, you had to readjust. And then there's more professional moving pieces like we imagine from the Christmas plays. You've seen all those passion plays and Christmas plays where they've got the Roman helmet and the, yeah. Well, that was really tough in hand-to-hand -hand combat. There's so many weaknesses, right? I mean, if you take one stab to the knee, you're not chasing anybody anymore. So their, their ways of protecting themselves, they just protected their head and their trunk. But there's so much more of them exposed. Armor was intended to protect you. Nobody wants an arrow in the guts. Nobody wants an arrow in the head. So you had to constantly improve and improvise to make your armor stronger, covering more of you. And those who could afford better stuff, you better believe they got it. Especially people in leadership who were the ones most highly protected. But with armor, it's hot. It's difficult to maneuver in. And sometimes you need assistance to put it on. There are so many people who gave their lives wearing armor, thinking they were protected. But somehow the enemy's darts or sword or spear made it into a place where they weren't covered and they didn't see it coming so they couldn't put their shield in place and they found themselves falling. If you move ahead to the medieval period, woo, that's the fancy armor. That's where you get like the top to bottom, tape deck, leather seats, air conditioning, you know. These guys had it all. You, you couldn't kill that guy. Well, I suppose you could, but <laughs> he felt much safer. He was protected. He was covered. He wasn't exposing anything. And he very easily 
could survive. But no suit of armor has ever stood up on its own and run off into battle, wielding its sword and taken down an enemy by itself. Think about that. I'm not trying to tell you armor isn't helpful or that it doesn't protect you because it does. And we've been told by God to put it on. But you have to strive to add his armor to your life. You should push yourself into prayer and fasting and living a holy and righteous life to the best of your ability. You should prepare yourself with the gospel and carry the sword of the spirit to make sure you've got that helmet of salvation on. It's a given. Put it on. But how many times have you gotten up in the morning and pulled on your armor for the day with your quick 15 minutes of devotions time because you had to. Pastor asked you to. So you quickly stuck it on. But you were thinking about Walmart the whole time. Oh, you don't have Walmart here. You were thinking about Kmart the whole time and the shopping you needed to get done. Your mind wasn't on that devotion. How much armor did you put on? Sometimes we don't connect with him. And we wonder why we lose battles. Should we look at somebody with a similar problem? A guy like Samson. Slide 15, if you have it up there. Judges 31, or I'm sorry, Judges 13. The children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them to the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zorah and the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and bear not, but you will conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee. Don't drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor should come to his head. He shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he will deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, they received a promise that their son was going to be a Nazarite. We have seen that there are, um, where there's no other named Nazarites up to that point before Samson, but we know that they existed before Moses, okay? The vow of the Nazarite involved three things. Abstinence from wine and strong drink. Don't cut your hair for the whole period of the time you took that vow. And third, avoiding contact with the dead. When the period of your vow had come to an end, you had to go to the sanctuary with a he lamb of the first year, a ewe lamb for the first year of the sin offering, and then a ram for a peace offering. So you had to bring three things, and when you got there and the sacrifices were made, you cut off your hair that had grown during the time of the vow, and you threw it on the fire. That was just how the Nazarite vow worked. So Manoah took a kid with the meat offering and offered it to the Lord. He just got this wonderful news. You're going to have a son. How beautiful. And he, he said, uh, we want to have a sacrifice. So it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that this messenger, this angel of the Lord, disappeared into the flame and went up into heaven. He was so impressed. The Spirit of the Lord began to move on that child, Samson, just like God had promised. Now, Samson's parents had seen this great miracle. They got this wonderful news from an angel, a messenger from God, who then did this weird vanishing thing. You know, he just disappeared into the heavens. So they were sure this was the thing they were supposed to do. When their son was born, he was raised in Nazarite. But the problem was the only people that had that life-changing experience were Samson's parents. Samson didn't see the angel disappear into the fire and go into heaven. He heard the story, but he didn't experience it for himself. And the problem was, even though he had all these abilities, Samson, the champion of Israel, slide 23, He's more powerful than any other man alive. He has this crazy secret power that no one can explain. And all the paparazzi of his day want to know why. What's the deal with Samson? Come on. Why is he so strong? Why is he so powerful? He's built like an ox. 
He's seemingly impenetrable, undefeatable. His body is like a well-crafted suit of armor. And that hair, ooh, Mr. Universe, right? He can kill a thousand soldiers with the jawbone of a donkey and then get a drink with it. He can carry off the city gates on his back. Who does stuff like that? Samson. He kills a lion one day by ripping its jaws apart with his bare hands, and he leaves it laying in the field. And later he comes by and notices there's some bees in there, and he takes some of the honey they've made because he's hungry. I guess a thousand bee stings don't bother him either. He is tough. But this champion with this armor that was given to him by God, God gave him that strength, right? The Bible says he shakes himself and the power of God comes over him and he does exploits. But the problem was his mind was playing games with the enemy. He was so consumed with self-love and pride. And to make matters worse, he didn't have respect for the ways of God. He chased after strange women did things his folks were ashamed of and eventually hooks up with a prostitute who was pretty easy to bribe. And the Philistines saw their chance and they took him down. It doesn't matter how shiny or powerful your armor is, folks. Not even the ones that are given to you by God. If the warrior inside the armor can't live for him, the armor, the gift, the calling, it's nothing. The armor can't win the battle by itself. The warrior inside the armor has to be thinking God's way. If your breastplate of righteousness is covering a beating heart full of pain and malice and envy and strife, you're going to have the wrong passions. If your belt of truth is just covering your abdomen and you're not thinking about what you digest, you're going to continue chasing after worldly things to put in your belly. If your shield of faith seems to get a little heavy and you just set it down for a minute, what's going to stop the fiery darts of the wicked when they come to get you? If your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, but your first instinct is to war with everybody, and you want to compete with everybody, and you've always got to be right, are your feet taking you anywhere peaceful? How sharp is your sword of the Spirit? Did you get that thing 30 years ago and you've never sharpened it? Did you ever learn how to use it? Have you ever practiced with it? Do you know what God wants you to do with it? Is your helmet of salvation covering a mind full of doubt or a pair of eyes that stray and wander and look at worldly things? How many of us have walked through life simply existing or allowing ourselves to partially think or feel because Stuff hurts us, and we don't want to feel the pain, so we build a wall around our heart to protect ourselves. But that keeps God out, too. He says, lower the wall. Let me in. Some of us are like those child soldiers I talked about. Filled with emotion and zeal, and we want to do what we can, and we jump into armor that we have no experience to use. And maybe we aren't mature enough or experienced enough to be successful, even if it was great armor. Today I'm looking at who you are. I don't know you. I think there's like three of you in the house I can name your name, okay? So this is nothing personal. This is about me too. Who are you? are you? What has God made you to be? Because just like I said a few minutes ago about all the purpose that God has put into you and all the greatness he's planted inside of you and he's given you his name, if your mind doesn't connect with him, where's my power? Ephesians 6, Paul, the great writer and traveler and famous prisoner of the gospel says, 
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance can be given to me, that I open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Even Paul, he even knew You've got to have more. It's prayer and supplication. You've got to have the courage and the stamina and the boldness to be able to open your mouth and say the things that God has given you. Do what he calls you to do. Be who he calls you to be. Don't get lost inside that big shiny armor and think, well, I look all right from the outside. Who are you? The Bible is so clear that God intentionally used Samson. He picked Samson. The guy with all the flaws and the faults and the problems and the sin and the bad things. But before he was born, God chose him. Unfortunately, Samson never saw that angel. He never heard that. He never saw that amazing experience for himself. And secondhand faith doesn't usually last. You've got to have your own. God chose him. He chose him to be the savior of his people, even if it took suffering and learning and humbling himself and then even dying because of his shortcomings. But God chose the flawed guy. And I am so grateful because I'm flawed too. We can't help it, right? Aren't we all flawed? We're all driven by passions and things that we don't know. There's an emptiness inside of us that only he can fill. But God's never stopped using me. Even when I made mistakes, he didn't stop using you either. And he knew exactly who was going to be sitting in this house this morning. He knew what seat you were going to be sitting in. He's got your number. He knows you. He's got a plan that's greater than anything you've done wrong, any flaw you've ever had, any problem with your family, coming from the wrong side of the tracks, not having money, not having whatever. You are in the will of God. Nothing else matters. If your breastplate of righteousness is covering up a beating heart full of pain, malice, envy, and strife, God wants you to drop those walls. It was never his intention that you live in pain. The things people have done to you, maybe the family you were born into, maybe the stuff you married into have changed you. But you don't have to go down a loser. You're not a failure. God hasn't given you the spirit of fear. So he's here to expose the stuff that's in your heart. He's here to expose that today. If your belt of truth is just covering your abdomen and you're not being careful what you put in, what you digest, today is the day to stop hungering for worldly things. Today is the day to just shut it off. These things lead to spiritual suffering and supernatural starvation. Your soul can't survive on Netflix alone. Right? Your supernatural belly can't just manage a diet of cotton candy. You need more than fluff. It's time for the meat of the word. Build up the truth inside of you. It's more than just a belt. It fills you all the way up and it pushes out the stuff you don't need to have inside of you. If your feet are uh, shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, but your first instinct is to war with everybody else and you want to compete with everybody else. We all know somebody like that, right? I pray that the spirit of competition be broken. It does not belong in the house of God. If there's any spirit of anger in your life right now, I pray it is broken right now in the name of Jesus Christ. It is broken. No more reacting out of anger. No more reacting out of fear or a spirit of poor self-worth. That is a lie. Have you ever found someone who decided to take everyone down around them? Well, you can stand in your armor. You can. 
If your shield of faith seems to be getting a little heavy and you've set it down for a minute, I pray you're drawn back toward that shield today. I pray you see that shield and you walk toward it because God is building up your inner man. He's helping to give you some supernatural muscles. Your faith is more than just your words. It's your actions. It's how you think. It's how you live. It's who you are. It's what you make of your life. And if you, if you find yourself dropping the shield altogether because it feels pointless, then you're fair game for anything the devil wants to do to you or to your children. But if you make a decision right now, I'm going to stand up and build my faith by declaring your faith with your mouth and speaking it out into the atmosphere, refusing to verbalize the negative, refusing to accept the negativity that creeps inside of you and gives you a fatalistic attitude, I'm done. How sharp is your sword of the spirit? You need muscles to swing that puppy too, right? God has destined you to be a warrior. You were meant to take down strongholds. You're supposed to rip up the enemy's camp. You're meant to tear down the imaginations and decimate any plans the enemy has against your family. You are the watchman over your home, over your youth group, over your church family. You are a watchman on the wall. It's time to chop off the heads of the spirits that have completely worked your family over. It's time to lay down a line and say, I disconnect from any curses of the past. How many of our families dabbled in stuff that we don't even know about? That the word of God clearly says they're cursed. I disconnect myself from any of that. I disconnect myself in Jesus' name. If your helmet of salvation is covering up a mind full of doubt or a pair of eyes that stray into sinful things, today is the day to consecrate your ears, your mind, your eyes, all to God. It's no more about seeming to have it all together. But God knows your secrets. He knows how you spend your time. He knows what you're supposed to be doing. And if you're doing it or not, he knows. So it doesn't matter if you fool me, friend. You could fool me all day long. But I'm not the one that you answer to. It's him. Just one example. According to the Burnett Institute study in 2015... And this is slide 27. Of the 914 Australians that were surveyed between the ages of 15 and 27, every single one of the young men admitted to watching pornography. Every single one. As well as a high percentage of the women. 80% of respondents reported to watching it weekly. There's a whole lot more that could go into that that we aren't even going to discuss. But how in the world are we supposed to battle the spirits of perversion and of abuse and evil in this world when we let it into our minds? Remember, it's not the armor. It's the person inside. We're trying to put on all this armor, but my mind is filled with the world. What has snuck into your armor with you? What part of us has allowed that little spider of discontent or lying or doubt or addiction to crawl into the back corner of our mind? And we figure nobody knows. Oh, it just bothers me, but nobody else knows. Because we, we look the part on the outside because we're trying, but long ago, in a place I can't even see anymore, I set down my shield of faith. It just got so heavy. I, I didn't see the use for it anymore. And then I found myself angry or mean or lazy or whatever. And then I got used to being that way. 
Well, you know me, I'm just crabby. <laughs> and then came the depression and the anxiety and feeling so bad about myself. We hardly feel the twinge of our conscience anymore, guys, if we allow sin inside of our armor. And the next thing you know, like Samson, they're gouging out his eye. So what are you going to do? What kind of armor are you wearing, my friends? Do you have some old-style armor with little pieces of bone that great-grandpa gave you from the Brontosaurus age? Is that where your armor comes from? Do you have holes everywhere letting stuff attack you from side to side? Or maybe you've got like that super awesome, wonderful, shiny armor, but you've let your mind wander and you haven't practiced with it, and you're mentally rusty, or you're exhausted from all the weight you carry in your life, or maybe you're checked out, and you're on autopilot. Or maybe this is the first time you've ever even heard about this, and you're like, what? Tell me more. What kind of armor are you wearing? Maybe you're a seasoned saint, right, like me. I've been this all my life. But what if I'm a child in here? What if I never gained experience? What if I'm just a kid inside this armor and I don't understand what I'm doing? I've never tried or practiced and I don't have that seasoning. What happens with a kid inside armor when fear shows up, an enemy shows up? They run or freeze and they're taken out. The person inside the armor is the one that makes the armor move. That sword doesn't swing on its own. And they've got practice into how to do it and where to go, right? So how can you have a person that's healthy inside of the armor? A steady diet of the word of God. Go to the New Jerusalem gym. Get yourself some supernatural muscles. The power comes through connection with God. Somebody's already said it today. His only purpose for giving you the Holy Ghost, right? He came and gave you the Holy Ghost because he's connecting with you. Hey, you're my child. I'm your father. Let's talk. Here, here's how, oh, see that problem up there? See that thing right there? Yeah, go around it. Go around, around. Oh, good job. Yeah. He knows where you're going. He knew you'd be here. So what happens after church today? What is it you have to avoid? Get inside your armor and connect your brain with the captain. Some of you have experienced the horrors of war or even just life, and it's changed you. Let God help you. He wants to wash away the pain and regret of a life you never wanted to live. Sometimes there's just some things we couldn't avoid. And I've carried that memory with me for 30 years. God wants to help you. There was this little girl I knew once. She was born with a disability, and she felt very um, different from everyone else. And it was very obvious that she had this disability. So we brought her to a camp. Um, she'd never been to any of our services. She just said she wanted to come to camp, so we took her. And for the first three nights, she didn't even pray. She thought we were crazy. <laughs> She's like, what is this loud prayer stuff? I'm not praying out loud, whatever. So she wouldn't even pray. But on night four, the youth choir got up, and they started singing this song. Uh, maybe you know it. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. You know that one? And I looked over, and I saw her standing there, and she was crying. It's like, oh, no, somebody offended her, you know. Ran over there. Are you okay? She looked at me and said, why am I crying? I said, well, because, honey, you're feeling the love of Jesus. He loves us. And she said, but nobody loves me. She never felt love. Even though I bet folks tried. But inside, she was so full of pain. And she disliked herself and her life and whatever. And she was so unhappy that the filter here stopped her from feeling happiness or love from anyone. 
I said, baby, all you got to do is just reach up to him. He loves you. Just say, I love you back. And she did. And in minutes, she had the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Open up. Tear down the walls. Tear down the walls. The pain that's built itself around you. Allow it to fall. Allow him access to you. When you give him access to you, he's going to change and heal and, and move that stuff around that doesn't belong there anymore. Give him a chance to show you why you exist. He has a plan. Let him prove to you that he's different. Let him embrace your flaws. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm embarrassed by my flaws. I hide them from everyone, even myself. We kid ourselves when we think that way. He sees you. He knows you. And when he gave you the Holy Ghost, when the Holy Spirit was first poured out, Peter said, this is for everyone. So his spirit is here for you today. If you've never received it before, he comes inside. He comes and lives in your heart. And it bubbles up out of you in a language you've never known before. It's from him. But the first thing he always said we needed to do was to repent. And I think we ought to start there. All of us. I mean, I'm an ordained minister, right? I do nothing but go around and preach the gospel. And I repent every day. I got a spider <laughs> trying to crawl around. No, get out, get out, get out. Trying to get inside my armor. So right where you are, you don't have to move a muscle. But close your eyes. Let's take a minute and repent. Because you know what? This might not be about horrifying sin, but there might be something that you're doing that's perpetuating the sin that keeps showing up in your life, the weakness that keeps showing up in your life. God, I know you see every single person in this house, and we're just taking a moment to repent. If there's things I've thought that were wrong, if there were words I said that were wrong, if, if I have had attitudes that were wrong or physically done things that were wrong, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. And I ask that you would send your forgiveness on this house, every single person, that's sitting in this house or watching online right now, that they would hear your voice, that you would take away the sin, forgive the sin that they have committed when they ask you for forgiveness. I'm not trying to call you out as bad or wrong. I'm not. But what's inside your suit? Is there anything inside of your armor that doesn't belong? If you've got stuff like self-doubt or critical thinking or fear or anger, this stuff affects how you move. And when the Spirit prompts you, how do you respond? When temptation shows up, does it take you down? Lord, remove the things that block the flow of the Spirit. Anything that would stop you from being able to clearly speak to me. In Jesus' name. Now, if you all have clear hearts, I'd like us to stand. Everybody should have gotten a piece of tin when you came in, a little piece of foil, right? If you don't have one, we kind of ran out at the end there. <laughs> if you don't have one, give your neighbor a, a, a look, you know, like a pleading look, and see if they'll tear theirs in half and share with you. <laughs> Everybody should have one, if we can. I'd like everyone to come to the front. Now, uh, come if you have family that's here, spouses, kids, whatever, come on up. If you have a friend here, bring them with you. Don't come by yourself. If this is your first time here and you don't know anybody, look around for someone who's smiling and looks friendly, okay? Somebody smile, look friendly. Don't stand by yourself. The weapon is in your arsenal. Okay? God's given you a weapon. His weapons are not carnal. They are mighty. And we are loading up on weapons today. Now, this tin I gave you, this foil, it's weak, right? 
pathetic little wimpy piece of, you could wrap your gum in it, basically. But in the hands of Jesus, it's a patch. God, if there's a hole in my armor, if there's a chink somewhere in my armor and stuff is getting in, there's something on, on my back, there's a hole back there, and the enemy knows right where to find it. It knows right where to sneak in and get me. It knows just how to attack me. God, would you patch that hole? Fill that hole. There's some people in this house, you've lived through some stuff. You've lived through things as a kid that nobody knows about you. There's emotions you've felt and abuse you've taken and pain you've experienced. And it sticks with you. And it crops up when you least expect it. When someone says that word or someone surprises you or someone hurts your feelings and those emotions come running back. Today is the day to end all of that. Today is the day for a move of God that's going to change that for you. His supernatural powers in the house has been reconfirmed over and over. They sang this song today. He can do anything in the name of Jesus. And we said we believed it, right? So if we believe it, it's time to start putting on that armor again and check it over and look for the place where that hole is. Because I'm tired of getting angry and smacking my kid. It's wrong, but I can't stop myself. I'm tired of this addiction. I'm tired of looking at that thing. It's wrong, but I can't stop myself. God can. You turn your mind over to him and open your heart. God, heal me. Heal me. Even Samson came around in the end. Samson realized that he had a, a chink in his armor. And he reached out to God in repentance one last time. My seasoned saints, my friends, who appear as perfect as can be, there's something for every single one of us. There's something. God, I give my mind to you right now. God, I give my heart to you 100%. I'm not holding anything back this time, God. Whatever you want to do in my life, do it. If there's something in there that needs to go, God, I give it to you right now. Come on, just talk to him. This is your opportunity to reach into the supernatural. God, you know who I am and you know what I've suffered. You know what I've seen. Right now, I speak a loosing of faith in this house. In Jesus' name, I speak a loosing of healing in this house. If there's emotional pain right now, be healed. In Jesus' name. Come on, don't stare at me. This is for you. This is not about me. It's, it's about him. He's in the house. God, I need a miracle. Do you need a miracle? Hold on to that hand or that person next to you. Grab them tight. In Jesus' name. Do you feel that? That's the power of God. Do you feel it? Come on, chase it a little bit. Chase it a little bit. That's the spirit of God. Don't worry about anything. Any worry in the house, it has to leave right now in Jesus' name. Help me grow. God, help me grow. There's some pain and hearts around here from some disappointments that you've faced and you haven't been able to get uh, rid of them. They've been hanging on to you. It's like a dog that won't stop chasing you and barking and barking and barking. Right now, silence the enemy. If there's any infidelity in the house, be healed. Be healed. Right now, in Jesus' name, come on, let's keep praying. Talk to him. It's rising up. Do you feel that? The spirit is rising up. He loves us. He loves us.
you free. 